You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present our program, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman, and welcome once again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the completion, the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and its sacraments. And um, one of the things I'd like to do on the show uh, that I actually did last week, and I think it went very well, is use uh, other Jewish converts, other enthusiastic Jewish entrants into the Catholic Church to reflect on the incredible gift of the Catholic Church, which is sometimes more easily seen by somebody who comes in from the outside than from somebody who is born and raised in it because, frankly, a cradle Catholic has nothing to compare it to and doesn't know necessarily the emptiness and the despair of life without Jesus, which is the same thing as life without meaning, and certainly the emptiness and despair of life without God or any belief in um, any purpose or pattern or afterlife. So uh, I, I am going to do that again today, and I'm going to use the example of one of my heroes of Jewish Catholic converts, among Jewish Catholic converts, named Herman Cohen. So I will be uh, reading extracts from Herman Cohen's writings and a little bit about his biography from one of my books, uh, Honey from the Rock, 16 Jews Find the Sweetness of Christ, which is a collection of 16 uh, Jewish to Catholic witness testimonies. Uh, so I will be talking about, about Herman Cohen uh, primarily from, from uh, that book. And by the way, if, if you're interested in the book, it's Ignatius Press, and it's available, uh, frankly, any any bookstore or online bookseller or, um, yeah, you know, Catholic or Christian bookstore or anything. So anyway, um, I'll just start with a very a very brief synopsis of his life. Uh, Herman Cohn was born in November tenth, eighteen twenty one, into a wealthy Jewish family in Hamburg, Germany a city that at the time was one of the country's foremost centers of economic, intellectual, and artistic activity. His father was a successful banker and practiced an enlightened form of Judaism that didn't take seriously, frankly, many of the traditional Jewish beliefs and practices. As a young boy, Herman Cohen was very brilliant and had an extraordinary musical talent that became apparent at a very young age. And while he was still a child, his performances on the piano made him the darling of Europe's cultural and artistic elite. At the age of about 12, he became a disciple of, her, of uh, Franz Liszt, who was the foremost pianist uh, in Europe in the middle of the 19th century. And uh, Herman Cohen was soon playing uh, solo piano concerts sold out in the capitals of Europe, Berlin, uh, London, Paris, and so forth, uh, made a tremendous amount of money, had a tremendous amount of uh, fame and glamour, uh, and uh, was, you know, hosted by kings and princes and money thrown at him and, and uh, so forth. And it went to his head and he became very decadent. You can think of a uh, of a rock star of today, you know, some 17 or 18 year old rock star who all of a sudden gets uh, money and, and, uh, uh, young women and so forth, you know, thrown at him and it goes to his head and he just goes off the deep end into depravity and decadence. And that is what happened, unfortunately, to Herman Cohen. Although perhaps fortunately, uh, as things, uh, turned out in the long run. Uh, anyway, in this, in this fame and, and, uh, wealth and so forth from his celebrity, as I said, he not only fell into a lot of depravity and degeneracy, uh, but also into a lot of interior darkness and a lot of um, uh, kind of uh, nasty behavior so that he didn't have, frankly, he didn't have any love in his life. He didn't have any friends in his life. He pretty much alienated everyone. And the decisive moment of Cohen's conversion came when, at the age of 26, he was asked to fill in directing the choir at a church service. So now I will go to his own words. It happened during May 1847 
Mary's month was celebrated with great pomp at the Church of St. Valère. Some amateur choirs were formed and would sing there, drawing a lot of people. Prince Moskova, who led these pious concerts, and whom I already had the honor of knowing, asked me one evening if I would take his place directing the choirs. I agreed and went solely for my love of music and the desire to do a friend a favor. During the ceremony, I felt nothing special, but at the moment of benediction, even though I had no intention to prostrate myself like the rest of the congregation, I felt an indefinable agitation. My soul, deafened and distracted by the discord of the world, refound itself, a bit like the prodigal son coming to his senses and sensed that something previously entirely unknown was taking place. I felt for the first time a very powerful but indefinable emotion. Without any participation of my will, I was forced, despite myself, to bow down. When I returned the following Friday, the same emotion came over me even more powerfully, and I felt a great weight that descended over my whole body, forcing me to bow even to prostrate myself, despite myself and I was struck with the sudden thought of becoming Catholic. A few days later, I was passing near the same church of St. Valère. The bells were ringing for Mass. I went in and was present at the Holy Sacrifice, remaining motionless and attentive throughout. I stayed for one, two, three Masses without a thought of leaving, although I had no idea what was keeping me there. After having returned home, involuntarily I was led to go out again that evening and go back to the same place. The bells made me enter once again. The Blessed Sacrament was exposed, and as soon as I saw it, I was drawn to the altar rail and fell to my knees. This time, at the moment of benediction, it was easy for me to bow down, and getting up again, I felt a very sweet peace in my whole being. I returned to my room and went to bed, but throughout the entire night, my mind was, whether in dream or awake, occupied with the thought of the Blessed Sacrament. I burned with impatience to be at more Masses. I wanted to see a priest to settle down the agitation that was incessantly troubling my spirit since this extraordinary event. Until now, priests had been for me monsters to flee, and I do not know how I was led by an irresistible force to find one. Eventually, I was introduced to Father Legrand. I told him what had happened to me. He listened with interest and exhorted me to be calm, to persevere in my current disposition, and to have wholehearted confidence in the paths that divine providence would not fail to point out to me. Um, later that summer, and uh, Herman Cohen did do that, uh, later that summer he found himself um, in uh, Germany giving a concert, and uh, he had a final experience before the Blessed Sacrament that uh, basically opened the floodgates. So let me read his own words about that experience. Let me say, before I go down onto that, though, Herman Cohen was very clearly a, a convert of the Blessed Sacrament. The Blessed Sacrament was the center of his conversion, and it was his center, the center of his life as a Catholic. And... Uh, Jumping ahead a little bit, he ended up becoming a Carmelite monk and priest, and when he did so, he was explicitly entirely consecrated to the Blessed Sacrament, uh, to the uh, divine presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And when I get to that part of his life story, um, that will become clear. But I just wanted to underline the fact that his conversion uh, from beginning to end was simply the direct effect of exposure uh, to the Blessed Sacrament. So, going back to his words, the day after my arrival was a Sunday, the 8th of August, and not caring about the respect of my friends, I went to Mass. There, bit by bit, the prayers, the presence, invisible and yet felt by me, of a supernatural power began to act on me, agitate me, make me start trembling. In a word, divine grace deigned to descend on me with all its force. At the moment of the elevation of the most blessed sacrament, all of a sudden I felt burst forth behind my eyelids, a flood of tears that did not cease to flow with voluptuous abundance down my inflamed cheeks. O moment forever memorable for the salvation of my soul, I had you there present in my spirit with all the celestial sensations that you brought down to me from on high. 
With passion I invoked the all-powerful and all-merciful God, that the exquisite memory of his beauty remain eternally engraved in my heart, along with the ineradicable stigmata of an unassailable faith, and gratitude for the enormity of the blessings that he was flooding me with. I remember having cried a few times as a child, but never, no, never did I know such tears. While they were drowning me, I felt surge up from the depths of my chest, split open by my conscience, the most tearing remorse over my entire past life. All of a sudden and spontaneously, as though by intuition, I offered God a general confession, interior and rapid, of all of my enormous sins since childhood. I saw them there, piled up before me by the thousands, hideous, repulsive, revolting, deserving all of the anger of a sovereign judge. And yet, I also felt an unknown peace that soon spread over my entire soul like a soothing balm, that the God of mercy would forgive me these, that he would turn his gaze away from my crimes, that he would take pity on my sincere contrition, on my bitter sorrow. Yes, I felt that he would give me grace, that he would accept in expiation my firm resolution to love him above all else and to turn to him from then on. When I left the church, I was already a Christian, as much a Christian as it is possible to be before baptism. So from that point on, uh, Herman Cohen just shut himself up in his room to study Christian doctrine and began to follow all of the practices of a devout Christian life, morning and evening prayer, the Mass, Vespers, Holy Hours of the Church, abstinences, chastity, and so forth. His greatest sorrow was his inability as of yet to receive Holy Communion. As he wrote about his experience attending Mass in those days, not yet having had the joy of making my first communion, I could not be present at that supreme moment without weeping from that from that privation that was killing me. So let me just interject again the, the value of reading these accounts of uh, converts who come into the church from outside is to try to awaken in um, us as more conventional Catholics, as longer-term Catholics, perhaps as lifelong Catholics, the immensity of what's offered to us and, and to see through the eyes of their appreciation, um, to, to experience through their eyes the appreciation that they have and for that to be ideally somewhat contagious and to wake us up to what we're being given every time that we have the privilege of being at Mass and receiving communion. So here Herman Cohen was... Um, as he said, I mean, out of his desire to receive communion, he, he couldn't help weeping at Mass, at his inability to receive communion. So obviously he wanted to be baptized as soon as possible. Um, anyway, I'm sorry for that technical problem. I'm back. Uh, I've been reading about the conversion of another Jewish entrant in the Catholic Church, Herman Cohen, and uh, reading mostly from his own words, his own experience of the, um, frankly, the his gratitude at receiving the gift of the uh, Catholic faith and, and centered around the gift of the Eucharist and the effect of the presence of the Eucharist on his life and on his conversion. So resuming there, he was um, kind of in agony at not being able to receive the Eucharist because he had not yet had First Communion and he had not, of course, been baptized. And so uh, just a few weeks after the experience that I read before the uh, break, uh, he was able to be baptized, and I was about to read the words of, in his own words, his experience of his own baptism. On Saturday, August 28th at 3 o'clock, the chapel shone with an unusual brilliance, resplendent with a thousand candles. The convent bells were ringing, uh, the most joyful carillions. The organ mixed its harmonies with beautiful singing. And never did an infant come into the world more tenderly surrounded by his sisters and brothers than did I when, as a simple catechumen, I approached the altar. Do you wish to be baptized? Yes, I wish to, was my response. 
then kneel down. The earth disappeared. The priest holding the shell with holy water was no longer a man. God had promised to descend himself in that moment and take possession. When the holy water touched my forehead, all of a sudden my body shook, and I felt such a violent, powerful movement that I can only compare to an electric shock. The eyes of my body were closed, but at the very moment the eyes of my soul opened to a supernatural and divine light. This light expanded in my whole being. God the Holy Spirit, as though to seal his promise, descended from the heights of heaven to me, taking me by the hand and showing to me in ecstasy that which a finite being could never comprehend, the infinite. Yes, I saw in immense brilliance without end, better to say without space itself, because the sight soared, plunged ever further. Everywhere, myriads of angels sang with an indescribable beauty, ever more beautiful, ever more ravishing, such a no human ear ever heard, and a soft warmth penetrated me, and my sight, despite the dazzling light that shone everywhere, never stopped plunging into the rays, and in the center reigned a light even more brilliant in its whiteness. There, sitting on a glorious throne, with on his right his glorious, well-beloved mother, was our Lord Jesus Christ, beautiful with an eternal youthfulness, and at his feet all around him, the army of saints, clothed in the most brilliant colors of the rainbow. These saints were prostrate at the foot of the throne, adoring him, and yet, at the same time, they turned and looked at me with sweet smiles of welcome. All of heaven and its inhabitants seemed to be rejoicing at my baptism, as though the poor small soul of a redeemed sinner could hold real weight in the scales of eternity. Yes, I saw the paradise of the church triumphant, No, it was not a vision, it was real. God permitted that I, miserable worm of earth, be admitted by a grace for which I could never find a name, to experience experience for an instant that which I scarcely dare remember. I was plunged into an ecstasy of love, my heart connected to the indescribable joys of paradise, and drinking at the torrent of delights with which the Lord drowns his elect in the land of the living, I was so moved that still today I can only imperfectly recall the ceremonies that followed. So this is actually um, what happens to all of us at our baptism. Only most of us don't don't have the uh, privilege, don't have the extraordinary experience of being conscious of it. All of heaven and its inhabitants rejoicing at our baptism. I saw the poor small soul of a redeemed sinner holds real weight in the scales of eternity. Saints have said that if Jesus had to undergo his incarnation, his life, his passion and death to save a single human soul, he would have chosen to do so. A single human soul holds such weight in the scales of heaven. And that's what uh, Herman Cohen was privileged to see on the occasion of his own baptism. He saw all of the angels and saints in heaven rejoicing at his entry, as well as, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ um, with the Blessed Virgin Mary next to him, um, rejoicing at his salvation, which is what awaits us if we play our cards right. So in any case... Um, the Blessed Sacrament, as I mentioned, which had been the source of uh, Herman Cohen's initial conversion experience, remained at the center of his spirituality um, continually. And uh, as I mentioned also briefly, he became a Carmelite monk and priest. Um, as a Carmelite, he took the name um, uh, uh, Father <laughs> Augustine Marie of the Most Blessed Sacrament. When he was ordained a priest, he took a private vow to never preach without extolling the Blessed Sacrament. And uh, much of what he wrote after his conversion was uh, hymns of praise, essentially, to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. So let me just read a few passages uh, that he wrote celebrating Jesus in the Eucharist. So to the words of Herman Cohen, O Jesus Eucharist, In the desert of this life you appeared one day. 
You revealed to me your light, your grandeur, your beauty. You changed my entire being. You, in an instant, vanquished all my enemies. Then, attracting me with an irresistible pull, you excited my soul in all-consuming hunger for this bread of life. You lit in my heart a burning thirst for your divine blood. Then the day came when you gave yourself to me. Even today, when I remember it, my heart skips a beat, and I dare not breathe. Uh, describing one of the first Eucharistic processions at which he was present, Herman Cohen wrote the following, When the Holy Eucharist passed by, I felt terrified. A torrent of tears came to my eyes. I felt a profound respect. I directly felt the real presence, an indescribable sensation. As long as the procession lasted, each time the Blessed Sacrament approached, my respectful terror and my humble love increased. Uh, in 1848, just a year after his initial conversion experience, he started the Association of Nocturnal Adorers, a group of men dedicated to adoring our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament throughout the night. Um, as he himself said, he started the group because, and now I'm shifting to his own words, to contemplate you, Jesus, in the Blessed Sacrament enough, the hours of the day fly by too quickly. I will call together other Christians burning with the same fire, and we will pass the nights in your churches. In the evening, you will be exposed on the altar, and the dawn will find us still kneeling before your splendor. Nights beyond words. Let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I ever forget you. In these heavenly nights, O oh my Jesus, you draw me to yourself by a charm so sweet and tender, so lovable, that the final thread tying me to this world is broken, and I run far from these cities to throw myself in your arms to live entirely for you, undividedly, forever. Um, so, um, perhaps, perhaps uh, I will take, uh, we usually take a break about halfway through, perhaps I will take a short break now, and when I come back, I will read some more passages from the uh, homilies, uh, sermons, uh, talks of uh, Blessed Herman Cohen. Um, and uh, uh, because, in fact, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get to that when I, when I come back to uh, discussing it. So let's take a short break now. This is Roy Shulman with Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, back in a few moments.
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to our program, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Showman. Hi, welcome back to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism. And we've been speaking today about a um, very notable Jewish convert to the Catholic Church, Herman Cohen, and I have been mostly reading from his own words and uh, reflecting on the uh, his enthusiasm, his passion for uh, the Catholic faith that he discovered after a very uh, decadent uh, childhood and young adulthood, and in particular his um, lifelong uh, infatuation is too weak a word, his lifelong passionate love and um, connection to the uh, Eucharist, to Jesus in the Eucharist. So let me, um, as a matter of fact, go back. First of all, let me say that just before the break, I referred to him as Blessed Herman Cohen. That was my own commentary on his um, his nature and his virtue. He is not a blessed in the sense of having um, been raised to the altars as a blessed. Uh, there's no current cause for him, although the Carmelites have uh, at times um, made uh, considered bringing uh, bring forward his cause for canonization. Um, it has not taken place. So that was just really using blessed in the little b uh, form. Anyway, uh, back to Herman Cohen. He took his first religious vows in 1850. When he did so, he took the religious name Augustine Mary of the Most Blessed Sacrament. He was ordained as a priest in 1851, and he spent most of the rest of his life traveling through Europe preaching, establishing new Carmelite foundations. He actually reintroduced the Carmelites to Great Britain. They had been um, kicked out at the time of the the Reformation, you know, the, the, uh, the conversion of England to Protestantism. And he actually was the person who went, the Carmelite, who went to England and reestablished the first uh, Carmelite foundations there after they had been um, shut down. Now, what happened was that he would, wherever he went, he would preach, and he would be, he would arrive in a, in a city, barefoot, by the way, but he was still famous as having been this phenomenal pianist. So they would announce that he was going to give a free organ recital in a church, and so throngs of people would come to hear the concert, and he would play the organ, but he would also preach. And he was doing this in uh, Paris in 1854 when, just as a little side anecdote, um, there were more people who wanted to hear him than could fit into the church. So there was a crowd of people gathered on the sidewalk and a young Jewish man was walking by and saw this knot of people on the sidewalk and he was curious about what's going on here. So he stood and he listened and he ended up listening to the homily. And by the end of the homily, he had made his decision and within two months had taken the Carmelite habit, had become a not only a Catholic, but a Carmelite monk. So let me read from that homily that had that extraordinary effect on that young man. Again, these are the words of Herman Cohen. My first thought as I appear in this Christian pulpit is to make amends for the bad example that I unhappily gave in this city in the past. You might well ask me, what right have you to preach to me, to exhort me to virtue and goodness, to teach me the truths of the faith, to speak to us of Jesus and Mary, whom we love? You have so often dishonored them in our sight, you who have kept bad company and behaved outrageously, you who we know to have swallowed every false theory and so often insulted us with your conduct. Yes, my brethren, I confess that I have sinned against heaven and against you. I admit that I have deserved to be unpopular with you and that I have forfeited your goodwill. I come to you, brethren, clothed in a robe of penance and committed to a strict order, barefoot and wearing a tonsure. Mary obtained for me from the God of the Eucharist a cure infinitely more important to me than that of my bodily eyes, that of freeing me from my spiritual blindness. It was the month of Mary, and they were singing hymns. Mary, the mother of Jesus, revealed the Eucharist to me. I knew Jesus. I knew God. Soon I became a Christian. I asked for baptism, and before long the holy water was flowing over me. 
At that moment, all the many sins of my twenty-five years were wiped out. Brethren, God pardon me. Mary pardon me. Will you not pardon me also? I have traveled throughout the world. I have loved the world. I have learned one thing about the world. You don't find happiness there. And, and you, brethren, have you found it? Can you say that you are happy, that you do not want anything? It seems to me I can hear a sad chorus of sighs all around. I seem to hear the unanimous cry of suffering humanity, Happiness, where are you? Tell me where you are hidden, and I will search for you, hold you, and possess you. I have looked for happiness. I have searched in cities and crossed the seas to find it. I have searched for happiness among the beauties of nature. I have sought it in the elegant life of salons and the deafening din of balls and parties. I have sought it through the accumulation of gold, in the excitement of gambling, in the hazards of adventure, and in trying to satisfy a boundless ambition. I have looked for it in the glory of the artists and the friendship of famous people and in all the pleasures of sense and uh, of sense and spirit. Dear God, was there anywhere I failed to seek happiness? How can one explain this mystery? For human beings are made for happiness. The mystery is that most people don't know in what happiness consists. They look for it where it doesn't exist. Well then, listen. I have found happiness. I possess it. I enjoy it so fully that I am able to say with the great apostle, I am overflowing with joy. My heart brims over with happiness so that I cannot contain it within me. I wanted to leave my solitude in order to come and find you and tell you I am overflowing with joy. Yes, I am so happy that I come to offer it to you. I come to entreat you to share with me this overflowing happiness. But, you object, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I, too, I do not believe, and that is precisely why I was unhappy. Faith brings us to happiness in God and in Jesus Christ, his Son. It is a mystery which pride cannot grasp. But to find Jesus Christ, one must watch and pray. Scripture says, Happy is the man who watches at the doors day and night, that is to say, who watches at the door of his heart to find Jesus Christ. So pray, ask, and you will receive this intoxicating wine of immortality which flows from the wine press of prayer. Prayer imparts faith, sheds light through prayer, which, united to faith, imparts peace, love, wisdom, light, freedom, all of which are contained in Jesus Christ. It is not possible for someone who does not love Jesus Christ to be happy. Wow. Nothing to add to that. Nothing to add to that. Father Cohen spent the rest of his life trying to bring others to the happiness that he had found. His constant theme was that happiness can only be found in Jesus Christ, particularly in Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. The happiness to be found in Jesus was the theme of many, if not most, of his homilies. As I think I mentioned, when he became a priest, he took a private vow to never preach without extolling the Blessed Sacrament. So let me read some more uh, extracts from his homilies, um, extolling the happiness to be found in Jesus, and in particular, the happiness to be found in Jesus in the Eucharist. Uh, by the way, I, I know, I certainly hope that um, we have some listeners who are non-Catholic Christians. I actually hope we have some listeners who are non-Christians, perhaps even some listeners who are Jews. But uh, if you are a non-Catholic Christian listening, I, the, you know, the, the last thing on my mind uh, is to offend anybody. Um, uh, I just really want to invite you with all my heart and invite you in the words of Herman Cohen to have Jesus as fully as he ever makes himself available to anyone on earth. And obviously, as Catholics, we here at Radio Maria believe, think we understand that that ultimate union with Jesus is uh, consummated in his presence in the Blessed Sacrament and in consuming him body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Blessed Sacrament uh, consecrated at the Catholic Mass. So uh, please don't take this as, as uh, offensive in any way. Um, simply take it as a, uh, as a um, warmly felt, well-meant um, invitation should 
you be a non-Catholic Christian. And if, in fact, you're a Catholic Christian listening, I mean, I have to uh, preach to myself. I obviously um, do not live in the awareness of Jesus in the Eucharist that Herman Cohen is reflecting in his writings, which is one reason I'm so enthusiastic about his writings, because of the possibility of um, seeing the reality of what we're experiencing in the Mass and in what we're experiencing in receiving uh, communion through his eyes and waking up that awareness in ourselves. So anyway, back to the words of Herman Cohen. Not finding the happiness I sought, I was continually fleeing he who was pursuing me up until the day I entered a church and the priest at the altar was holding in his hand something white. I looked at the little host and heard the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. My God, is it possible to have lived without thinking of Jesus, without loving Jesus, without living for Jesus and in Jesus? And now that your grace has awoken me, my eyes have seen, my hands have touched, my ears have heard, my heart has tasted. Yes, I love Jesus Christ and no longer want to hide myself. I take it to be an honor to proclaim it to the whole universe. I love Jesus Christ. That's the secret of my immense happiness, which has only increased since I began to love him. I love Jesus Christ. I want to shout it to all the corners of the earth. I would like it if the walls of this temple could expand and enclose all the millions of men who cover the globe, and that my voice could reach and penetrate all the fibers of their hearts, and make them vibrate in unison with mine, and that all, in a single voice, would reply in an immense song of jubilation and triumph, reaching from earth to heaven, we too, we love Jesus Christ. It is not possible for someone who does not love Jesus Christ to be happy. We love being happy, and Jesus Christ, the only possible happiness, is not loved. We love pleasure, splendor, But Jesus Christ, the most exquisite pleasure, the splendor of eternal glory, is not loved. O Jesus, my love, how I want to set my former friends on fire with the passion that inflames me. How I want to show them the happiness you give me. No, I dare say it. If the faith didn't teach me that contemplating you in heaven is a yet greater joy, I would never believe it possible that a greater happiness existed than that which I experience in loving you in the Eucharist and in receiving you in my poor heart, so rich because of you. What delicious peace, what happiness, what holy joy. If you no longer see me killing myself to get applause, scheming for empty honors, it's because I found my glory in the humble tabernacle of Jesus' host, Jesus God. If you no longer see me betting on a single card the wealth of an entire family or breathlessly running after gold, it is because I found the true wealth, the inexhaustible treasure in the ciborium of love that encloses Jesus' host. If I no longer deafen myself at your frivolous parties, it is because there is a wedding feast where I dine with the angels of heaven. It is because I have found the supreme happiness. Yes, I found it. The good that I love is mine, I possess it. Poor riches, sad pleasures, humiliating honors, which I chased after with you. But now that my eyes have seen, my hands have touched, my heart has beat upon the heart of a God. Oh, how I pity your blind pursuit of pleasures that are incapable of filling your hearts. Come then to this celestial banquet, prepared for you by eternal wisdom, Come, approach, leave behind your little toys, your chimeras. Throw far from you those lying rags that cover you. Ask Jesus for the white robe of pardon, and with a new heart, a pure heart, drink at the clear fountain of his love. Wow. Wow. Virtually all of his writings and sermons are permeated with praises of the uh, blessed sacrament. And um, I think I have time to read a few more passages. So, uh, again, uh, from a a sermon of Herman Cohen's extolling the Holy Eucharist. Um, The Holy Eucharist is the only thanksgiving offering worthy of God. 
God ordered the Israelites to keep in the tabernacle a container filled with manna as a perpetual memory of the benefits he showered on them in feeding them in the desert. Thus, manna has always been seen as an image of the Eucharist. Even the name of the true manna of the Eucharist, this name so sweet, which expresses in a single word all the treasures of God's goodness, means literally in Greek thanksgiving. And since man's thanksgiving is inadequate, this treasure is called the divine Eucharist, the divine thanksgiving. And so an infinite, inexhaustible, incessant thanksgiving, adequate for the immense goodness of God. Yes, I hear, O my God, when I offer you this host of praise and love, the Father's voice from the heights of heaven again descend on Jesus in the waters of the Jordan, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If then we offer him this well-beloved Son, become our portion in the divine Eucharist, we present to the Eternal Father an infinitely pleasing thanksgiving, a thanksgiving worthy of him, equal to him, and so superabundant. This is how, my brothers, we can give full thanks to God through our divine mediator Jesus in the Eucharist, at the sacrifice of the altar through Jesus Christ, without which we could never give God a glory of praise appropriate to the infinite greatness of his blessings. I would like you to live totally by the Eucharist. May he be the source of your thoughts, feelings, words, and deeds. May he be the light that guides you, your inspiration, your model, and your constant preoccupation. As Magdalene said, shed tears and poured perfume over the feet of Jesus, May you never tire of offering your prayers, aspirations, and gifts before the tabernacle. I wish the Eucharist to be for you a fire of love, a burning fire into which you can throw yourself so as to emerge as a flame with love and generosity. May the altar where Jesus sacrifices himself also receive your sacrifices so that with him you may become a victim of love whose odor of sweetness rises before the throne of the eternal. Now, let me interject something. I hope I can carry this off, because in this sermon, in this homily, uh, Herman Cohen, who of course was Jewish, um, draws a, uh, a comparison between the Eucharist and manna, and also points out that Eucharist means thanksgiving, and goes on to extol the Eucharist as um, the ultimate, actually only genuinely pleasing form of thanksgiving that we can offer to God, and which reminds me of a most interesting circumstance in this transition between Judaism and the Catholic faith, which is the following. Um, you know, before the coming of Christ, um, the Jewish rabbis, this is recounted in the Talmud, um, addressed the following question after the Messiah comes, because, of course, all of Judaism was about the future coming of the Messiah. They asked themselves, after the Messiah comes, will we still um, be making offerings to God? Will we be still offering sacrifices? Because if you look at the Judaism in the Old Testament, the Jews were continually offering sacrifices in the temple. They were offering morning sacrifices and evening sacrifices and Thanksgiving sacrifices and and uh, sin offerings and wave offerings and grain offerings and so forth. And the question was, will these sacrificial offerings continue after the Messiah comes or will they come to an end with the coming of the Messiah? And interestingly, the uh, conclusion that the rabbis came to, sort of suspiciously inspired by the Holy Spirit, it would seem, and recounted in the Talmud, is the following, which is written in the Talmud. It says that after the Messiah comes, all of the sacrificial offerings will cease except for one, the Thanksgiving offering, the Thanksgiving sacrifice. What's Eucharist mean? It means Thanksgiving. This was prophetic. All of the sacrificial offerings did cease except for one the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving offering. And in this beautiful passage that I just read from Herman Cohen, I don't think he was aware of this fact, but he talks about the divine Eucharist as an infinitely pleasing Thanksgiving, the only Thanksgiving worthy of a God himself. Um, so anyway, in a Jewish context, this is extremely interesting and one could say almost extremely um, suspicious, so to speak, in its resonance. So, 
Let me just close with um, the end of uh, Herman Cohen's life. Again, if you wish to um, read more about him, uh, I am reading extracts from a book that I put together that I wrote called Honey from the Rock, 16 Jews Find the Sweetness of Christ, published by Ignatius Press. And um, you can read more about Herman Cohen there, or frankly, you can probably Google Herman Cohen. Herman, by the way, has two N's on it, and Cohen is C-O-H-E-N, and find several accounts of his life um, on the Internet. So let me read about the end of his life, which is a very beautiful and interesting also, because since his entire life, his entire conversion, his entire priesthood was about the Blessed Sacrament, it is interesting that um, he died, one could say, as a martyr of the sacraments. So let me just read a, a short account of the end of his life. When the Franco-Prussian War broke out in 1870, Father Cohen decided to leave France for neutral Switzerland in order to protect his community of Carmelites from harassment on the basis of his German nationality. Remember, Hermann Cohen had been born and raised in Germany, so he was a German, and now he found himself in France, which was at war with Germany, so he would be an enemy alien, and um, he could bring down um, a lot of harassment on his Carmelite community if they were sheltering this German citizen, this enemy alien, during, while they were at war with Germany. So anyway, so he moved to Switzerland in order to protect his community. But there was this problem, which was there were thousands of French prisoners of war being held in German prisoner of war camps. Um, and of course, those French prisoners of war were Catholic, but they were being deprived of the sacraments because the German government would not allow any French priests to enter because, of course, the French were their enemy and the uh, Germany was, was predominantly Protestant. So uh, Father Cohen, as a German national, would probably be allowed in by the German government since he was a German national. So he was asked by the local bishop where he was in Switzerland, would he be willing to volunteer to go to the prisoner of war camps in Germany, which were full of Catholic French prisoners, in order to serve them as a priest? And he immediately agreed, but he had a premonition that it would mean his death. On leaving Switzerland, he said, quote, Germany will be my tomb. But he also said, I did not feel that I could decline since Jesus said to those who he reproved, I was a prisoner and you don't, did not visit me. So he agreed to become the uh, priest in a prisoner of war camp in Spandau outside Berlin. I believe, interestingly, Spandau, I believe, also had a concentration camp later in, in World War II. Um, anyway, he became a uh, the priest there on November 24th, 1870, which, not coincidentally, was the feast of the ultimate Carmelite saint, John of the Cross. When he arrived there, he found over 5,000 underfed and underclothed prisoners, many deathly ill in the freezing Prussian winter. He ministered to all their needs, celebrating Mass daily, hearing their confessions, visiting the sick, consoling the despairing, administering last rites to the dying, as well as taking care of temporal needs, such as obtaining additional clothing for them. Father Cohen held nothing back, working in the freezing cold from before dawn to late at night, and soon the brutal conditions took their toll. Um, I, a fellow priest who saw him at the time recounted, I found him aged and pale, his expression exhausted but joyful. I saw on his forehead something like a halo ready to shine soon. On January 9, 1871, Father Cohen was called to administer the last rites to two prisoners dying of smallpox. Unable to find the spatula, usually used for the anointing oil, and aware of the urgency of the moment, he did not hesitate to use his finger, despite a scratch on him, it that exposed him to the deadly infection. He contracted the disease and died of it just 11 days later, on January 20, 1871, the exact anniversary of the apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary to his fellow Jewish convert and friend, Alphonse Radisbon. His last words were, And now, O oh my God, into your hands I command my spirit. So you see, he was actually a martyr to the sacraments. He accepted this assignment in the prisoner of war camp, um, uh, feeling that it would mean his death, given the uh, conditions that he would face there. And then, more specifically, 
he uh, basically knowingly risked his life to contract smallpox by anointing, in other words, the final sacraments, giving the final sacraments to some prisoners there who were dying that um, might die without those final sacraments if he didn't do so, despite the fact that he had to use his finger and had a cut on his finger through which he contracted the smallpox uh, from which he died 11 days later. So he truly was not only a priest and a monk of the Blessed Sacrament, but a martyr of the sacraments also. So uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk a little bit about this uh, Jewish Catholic hero of mine, Herman Cohen. And I hope you found it uh, inspiring. And I hope maybe that uh, I pray, in fact, that some of his gratitude for what he found in the Catholic Church may be contagious and may rub off on you and me and just open our eyes just a little bit more to the infinite gift we have received in being Catholics and members of the one true church. So with that, I want to thank you for listening today to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism. This is Roy Shulman signing off. Please join us again next week, same time. Bye for now.